How does the Mississippi Delta Bay Synagogue maintain a 130-year-old lunchtime tradition, even as its membership shrinks? The answer? A little help from their friends and a steamship round of corned beef. It's going to be corned beef on rye, sauerkraut, dill pickle, potato salad, and a brownie. You're listening to Gravy. Gravy? Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We are a production of the Southern Foodways Lines. I'm John T. Edge, your host. Today, reporter Philip Greitzer joins the Hebrew Union Congregation in Greenville, Mississippi for their annual deli lunch. Each year, the smell and savor of a mustard-slathered corned beef lunch brings Jews and Gentiles together for fellowship. But what does the future hold? Will the deli cooks of the Delta keep their bread-breaking and sandwich-stacking traditions alive? It's the first Thursday in March, and the social hall of Greenville Synagogue is busy. Two dozen volunteers form an assembly line to prepare more than 1,000 takeout lunches. In a few hours, the deli lunch, the annual fundraiser of the Sisterhood of the Hebrew Union Congregation, will begin. My duty is to keep the sandwich trays loaded and keep the potato salad trays loaded. Mary Jo Combs is the sauerkraut lady. She's ladling a spoonful of sauerkraut into a styrofoam takeout box. I think this is my fourth year I have uh, seniority on sauerkraut dipping. <laughs> Next, another volunteer puts plastic containers of potato salad and mustard in the box. Another fishes a pickle out of a bucket of kosher dills and wraps it in plastic. In goes the corned beef sandwich and a brownie. Then the lunchbox goes to Terry Lane, who's worked this event for 25 years. Never moved from this area. Got recruited when I first moved to Greenville and... Never left. Well, you've got to pack the boxes, the sauerkraut, the corned beef sandwich, the potato salad, mustard, and the brownie. Everybody loves a brownie. Terry is organizing the takeout lunches for pickup. All over the Delta, businesses like the Simmons Bank, the Bank of Anguilla, and the Epstein Cotton Gin buy lunches and give their employees a once-a-year treat of a corned beef sandwich. On Delhi lunch day, the Rotary Club moves its weekly meeting from the country club to the Catholic church next door. This year, they've ordered 45 deli lunches. Bill Boykin, a local contractor and a Rotarian, is hungry. It's, a, it's an awesome deal. Uh, you know, uh, all the community comes together, the, 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 uh, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, uh, the Catholics, the Baptists, uh, Methodists, we all come together and enjoy the, uh, the uh, Jewish tradition of their uh, corned beef and uh, sauerkraut. And we give up that country club lunch, we do. Church meals in the South have been around a long time, says Marcy Cohn Ferris. She's a professor of American studies at UNC Chapel Hill. The women's groups often held these kinds of events as fundraisers. You know, 
from as early as the Civil War era, you know, to raise funds for their sons and their husbands who were off at at war. And, you know, um, they were called sanitary commissions and societies, and they raised monies. They often wrote cookbooks, but they had events called, you know, like a strawberry lunch or a bake sale, and these were serious events. But, Ferris says, the Greenville lunch is unique. This has got to be the daddy of them all. It's got such a long and interesting and deep history. And the fact that this particular lunch, this great corned beef lunch, you know, that where the food comes from and the fact that so many non-Jewish community members are involved in the event makes it so reflective of the Jewish Delta. This started in the 1800s in my husband's great-grandmother's backyard. My name is Esther Scheinberg Solomon. Esther Solomon is a member of the Sisterhood. She's been helping with the lunches since 1964. The tradition has evolved, but, says Leanne Silverblatt, the basic idea, a Jewish meal for the entire community, has remained the same since the 1880s. She's the co-chairman of this year's lunch. For a long time, it was called the Dorch Dinner because so many of the members were from of German descent, and they served uh, beef brisket, sauerkraut, mashed potatoes, mashed by hand. And then after World War One, that wasn't so popular to be saying something with a German connotation. So at that point, they changed it and called it just the Dutch Dinner then. And then about maybe 25 years ago, we evolved into the corned beef deli. About 25 years ago, says Esther Solomon, the sisterhood needed to make a menu change. We got, when most of our children went off to college and didn't come back to Greenville, we got a, a smaller community. It was much harder for us to do all those roasts and the, you peel and mash and cook your mashed potatoes and all that. It's a big to do. So we changed it to a deli lunch instead of a Dutch dinner. And we decided to serve a uh, corned beef sandwiches. We still do the sauerkraut cooked with brisket and onion and all. Ferris, an authority on southern Jewish foodways, thinks this quintessentially Jewish meal in a predominantly Christian community makes a statement. It's really a, a stand that they took, that they said, this is who we are as Southern Jews, as American Jews, what food better represents us than the food of kind of the American delicatessen? It's a food that says it's Jewish, but it's not so unfamiliar that people are a little frightened of it. Preparations start weeks in advance. A deli in Chicago ships in 400 pounds of corned beef. A nearby bakery supplies the rye bread. Prep begins on Monday. Volunteers unpack the corned beef from the shrink wrap package and shake it a little to fluff it up and then divide it into one quarter pound portions. On Tuesday and Wednesday, the sandwiches are made and the mustard and potato salad are portioned out. Finally, on Wednesday, using Betty Goldstein's recipe, Leanne Silverblatt begins preparing the sauerkraut. And the story about the sauerkraut is for many, many years, a member of our congregation, Betty Goldstein, she made the sauerkraut by herself. And I remember as a much younger woman watching her doing this and thinking, you know, nobody is really watching and seeing what she's doing, and what if she's not doing it one day? Who's going to do it? So 
I started watching her and tried to figure out how to do it and whatever. And it got to the point where I had to become Betty Goldstein and I had to take over and I didn't know what to do. And I kind of tweaked it a little bit. About 70 to 80 pounds of brisket are cooked with onions and seasonings. Then it's layered with sauerkraut. Ernest Dobson helps. There's a, a great man here who has helped us many years. To, we hired to help for the deli lunch, and he's been helping longer than I have. His name is Ernest Dotson, and he always helped Betty Goldstein make the sauerkraut. He helps me now. And it would be funny. We'd be in the temple, and Betty would be screaming, Ernest, 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 but they, they loved each other. They got along great. The funny thing about Betty was she came along in the time when everybody smoked, and Betty, at that time, you could smoke in the temple. There was no, no such thing as non-smoking facilities. So Betty would stand over the big pot of sauerkraut with a cigarette in her mouth and the ash would get longer and longer and we would hold our breath hoping that ash wouldn't fall into the pot of sauerkraut. And I don't know whether it ever did or not, but Betty Goldstein's sauerkraut was really good. And Ernest now, he says the same thing to me. Every year when we're working together making the sauerkraut, he'll taste it and say, Miss Leanne, this sauerkraut's good, but it's not as good as Miss Goldstein's. <laughs> it might have been that cigarette ash, who knows? The Jewish community in Greenville has deep roots. Jews have been involved in the city's economic, political, and social life for 150 years. The city's first mayor was Jewish. But in the past 60 years, the Jewish population in Greenville, like the city as a whole, has been shrinking. Cotton is no longer king. Family-owned businesses can't compete with the mall and the Walmart down the road. Fewer jobs are available, and the children of the Jewish merchants on Main and Washington streets, sensing there'd be little opportunity for them, have moved to places like Memphis, Jackson, and Atlanta, and become optometrists, accountants, and lawyers. Now, without their children here, some of the older members of the congregation are moving away. After today's lunch, Esther Solomon will move to Atlanta to be closer to her three adult children. Membership in the congregation, once more than 350 families, is now about 50 families. Marilyn Alfort, who has been preparing deli lunches for 35 years, had to call for reinforcements. It, for the longest time, it was only the sisterhood that worked the deli luncheon. And then it got so we didn't have that many people in the sisterhood, or they were older, and we didn't have a lot of young people that could work. So then the whole congregation, the men, started helping. And then it got so big, we had to get everybody in the community involved. So they reached out to their friends, Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, and Episcopalians to help. Can you, help, can you help? There. And we say yes. Yes. We're yes. We'll be there. We, we are a very ecumenical right. community. I'm Rebecca Barrett from Indianola, and I'm the Piscajew who uh, has been working here probably 10 years. And, you know, if you want to get really biblical, we all started here. I mean, if you think about it, we all start. This is the found, This the religion is where we all started. So if you want to get really deep, we really are all connected. That's Kim Dowdy, Melissa Mowie, and Patty Wilson. They're Presbyterians. She serves, and we do, drinks. we do drinks. We have an important job. We have a real important job. But we have an outfit, so we're good. It's a lovely blue apron with a Star of David. Like college students all over the South, these volunteers proudly show off their school colors. Leanne Silverblatt chuckles as she looks around at the volunteers. Here in Greenville, 
it is a hot ticket to get to be a volunteer at the Tabor Union Congregation Daily Lunch. It's really hysterical when you think about seeing the Catholic women, the Presbyterian women, the Baptist women, all in our aprons with the big Star of Davids on their chest. <laughs> Up next, it's lunchtime in Greenville. But first, here's that donor music. Lodge Manufacturing in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, has crafted cast iron goods for 121 years. They make hundreds of products, but your mind likely jumps to an image of a black iron skillet. That's partly why CEO Emeritus Bob Kellerman made the skillet a part of the Lodge logo in 1973. While the logo features an egg, Lodge assures you that their cookware works equally well for cornbread, biscuits, and bacon. For their dedication to making quality cookware, and for their support of this podcast, we thank them. It's noon, and the Greenvillians are stopping by to pick up their lunches. Everybody at Dental Clinic. It's just one time a year that we get good corned beef and sauerkraut. Every year I pick up at least one or two because it's delicious. No, this is my first time coming here. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but it's, you know, it seems like it's a nice place and everything, and everybody looks like they're enjoying themselves, so it's good. And it supports the local church here, so I think it's real important and the food is delicious. Doe Cigna, who runs Doe's Eats, a well-known Greenville steak and tamale house, is carrying 10 takeout boxes to bring back to his employees. Ever since they've had it, just about. Uh, well, I know a lot of the people in here, and, and the food is good, too. It's really good. Let me give y'all a special napkin, because those aren't good. They're skimpy, those ones on the table. Oh, okay. How nice. Anyway, they um, will ask you what you want to drink, and they're brownies on that little table. Some people take their lunch to the synagogue dining hall to eat. We always look forward to this meal. See, I'm the main cook at home, and my food is not that well, not that good. There's <laughs> a brownie behind you, and they'll ask you what you want to drink. All right, thank you, man. This year's event was a resounding success. About 1,500 lunches were sold. Marcy Ferris says there's more going on here than just a good corned beef sandwich. It was a way for the Jewish community to kind of de-exoticize who they were, you know, to reach out to the Christian community, who are their neighbors and their friends and their colleagues and their customers, and to bring them into the synagogue, to bring them in the temple, so it seems like a place that looks and is familiar to them, and it also looks like a house of worship. There's nothing strange going on there. It's, it's an act of giving back with, with what better thing than food, you know, to help someone know who you are, you feed them. In the synagogue, there's a museum. It tells the history of Jews in Greenville. There are pictures of women in the sisterhood in hats and gloves getting ready for the deli lunch. Photos of weddings and dances from the 60s with hundreds in attendance. 
and they're the class photos of the Sunday school with 40 or 50 smiling children. Those days are gone. Only a handful of people attend Friday night services, and this year, just three children are enrolled in Sunday school. Someday, the congregation will have to deal with the fact that even with help from their Christian friends, there won't be enough people to cater the deli lunch or hold services in the synagogue. That worries Leanne Silverblatt. She's the fourth generation of her family to live in the Mississippi Delta. But she keeps on going, motivated by tradition and history. We love this congregation. <laughs> And it's almost like a challenge that, you know, you want to keep tradition going. And even though this might not seem like something that's important, it is very important. Not only to our congregation, but to the families that have been involved in this for so many years and to the whole community. And I think that's why so many of our Christian friends come out to help us, because they want to help us keep this tradition alive. Leanne and the Jews of Greenville will go on, honoring this dying way of life with an essential spirit of faith, one that has weathered 6,000 years of change. Philip Gratzer is an independent radio producer based in Atlanta and in St. Simons Island, Georgia. His last gravy report was on Nat Fuller, the Black Reconstruction-era Charleston, South Carolina chef. To learn more about Philip and listen to some of his other work, visit his website, philipgratzer.com. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-G-R-A-I-T-C-E-R.com. You can learn more about Delta Foodways and Jewish Foodways by going to our website, southernfoodways.org slash gravy. Also at our website are links to music from this episode. Speaking of music, Gravy's theme music is by Wendell Patrick. Donor music is by Jazar. Our intern is Robin Miniter. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Coming up, a taste of the next gravy, but first... What are you doing on April 20th? Why not go to the Big Jones Piggy Bank Dinner in Chicago? Big Jones chef and co-owner Paul Feuerbach will welcome author Ronnie Lundy. Ronnie and the Big Jones crew will serve up dishes from her new book, Vittles, An Appalachian Journey. You will hear a playlist of mountain music, see SFA films, and listen to storytelling from Ronnie. Tickets are $75 each or $125 for a pair and include dinner, a signed copy of Vittles, and a generous donation to the SFA. Find more information about the event and how to make reservations on our website at southernfoodways.org. While you're there, consider signing up for a membership. Membership dollars and events like the Big Jones Piggy Bank Dinner support all SFA work, including this podcast.
Have you ever been sitting at a bar, enjoying a cold beverage with friends and telling stories? Stories that stretch the truth, maybe even bend the truth. Sometimes, when good cocktails are at hand, facts aren't quite as important as good yarns. But what happens when your story gets challenged? That's next time on Gravy. I'm John T. Edge for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And as you go about your day, please remember, make cornbread, not war. Thank you.